3: Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Welcome to the Full Press Fantasy Pod. Part of the Full Press Radio Network and Full Press Coverage. This is part two of our all-decade Team discussion. So enjoy. Pointed to some arguments on my guys. Again, Julio and Brown, just so dominant uh, numbers-wise and you can't really ignore that, especially, and, you know, the the, the number, okay, well, one number that really matters to me is all pros, and just consistent all pro years for both of them, uh, half the decade, they're both, you know, both made all pro teams, so uh, I thought those two, and again, Calvin Johnson, being the best receiver for at least the first half of the decade, and again, by a wide enough margin, made it for those three for me, uh, so okay, Kayla, you went Larry Fitzgerald, want to add in your arguments on that?
4: Yeah, so not that I'm not going to comment on what you guys are going back and forth about. I think there's a reason why, you know, everybody got to put their own input and have their, you know, vote count for the all-decade team. Now, while I, I understand your point about how Alessandro can, Kyle, about how Alessandro can only use two years, I think, you know, we talked a lot about earlier about how you can't just go based on stats, you can't just go based on titles, anything like that. So if Alessandro remembers Anquan Bolin for being dominant with what he saw in the game, that's half of your own argument right there. So while I think there could have been better choices put down, yes, I'm not going to discredit anything that he you know, felt or saw when he was watching the wide receivers in that position. And if he feels that Anquan Bolden showed with his size that he was the most dominant guy out there, despite what corners did to him or, you know, what other players were making headlines. If he felt that he was the most dominant player based on the team that he was on and based on what he saw, then I'm not going to discredit his choice and his opinion on that because there's definitely people on my list that, you know, people could have an issue with. So if you know, I feel like Larry Fitzgerald should be remembered as the best wide receiver in the NFL. But you know, he averages seven and a half touchdowns a season. He only has one hundred and twenty in his in his career. And you know, you might say only one hundred and twenty, but you know, across all the years that he's you know been in the league, that's not that's not somebody that should be remembered for the number one wide receiver in the league. So you know, I I see alessandro's points and i see your points and you know i don't think you know you should be mad at him for saying his opinions and why he chose him and i don't think alessandro you should be mad at kyle for saying hey you know you can only use these two years in this argument so i think uh y'all need to take each other's two sides into consideration here and listen to each other about who chose what uh just like you should do with my larry fitzgerald pick i mean I think when I think of wide receivers I honestly think of Larry Fitzgerald and I don't care if that sounds crazy if that seems stupid but that's my opinion and you know he has over 17,000 yards in his career and he's gone through quarterback after quarterback after quarterback and he's been through offensive coordinator changes that have hurt him he's more of a blocking wide receiver now and you know, he's older in his career, yet he's still the face of the Arizona Cardinals. He still will be the face whenever he retires. He's coming back. Even today he just bought stock in the Phoenix Suns, the NBA team. And there's only as far as I know, there's only one other person that has stock in another top four major sports franchise, and that's Aaron Rodgers with the Milwaukee Bucks. So he's not a quarterback and you know he's not necessarily one of the the guys in the spotlight now, but everything that he's done for the community of Arizona, for the Cardinals football team, the type of guy that he is, I you know even with his his lower touchdown numbers, I think you know his career numbers across a decade speak for itself, and to me, you know I think in his career. He has 12.4 yards per reception. So he's not one of these these guys that catches, you know, these first and second down passes to help, you know, make it a second and short, a third and short. He's somebody that it catches the ball more than, you know, a first down average per per catch. So That's with all these changes, him having to learn all these different schemes because coordinator after coordinator is fired, different guys are promoted, they're drafting, you know, in recent years, different quarterbacks. So, I mean, his nickname is Larry Legend for a reason. And, you know, he's coming back, not necessarily, you know, to win a Super Bowl because I don't think Fitzgerald will see the Super Bowl in his lifetime, especially with the way that the quarterback situation is now props to Kyler Murray, but if this is Larry Fitzgerald's last season, you might as well just kill me if the Cardinals win, you know, the Super Bowl because I don't think it's going to happen at all. So, he's coming back because, you know, he's a team player and while he does have personal accolades and records that he could go get, he's doing that, but he's not doing it selfishly. He's coming back knowing, okay, you know, I'm going to be more of this blocking wide receiver. It worked for my team in different games. Or, you know, I'm helping block so that we can have these running lanes for another new running back in Kenyon Drake who came up. I mean, Kenyon Drake has dethroned David Johnson, at least for right now. We don't know what the season's going to bring this year. But if you told me that Kenyon Drake was going to be chosen over David Johnson, I mean, I should have been in the grave already. So Fitzgerald coming back, I mean, talking again about what he's done for the community he has won the walter Payton man of the year in this decade and he's somebody that everybody on a football team even if you're not a player should look up to and should respect so again this kind of follows my drew Brees pick about looking up to making do with what you got not bitching about what you don't have and being the type of player that you want on your team and that's why larry fitzgerald is in my top three choices for all decade team wide receiver
1: wise words regarding a wise man <laughs> the, the, the old wise legend of larry fitzgerald and that career resurgence uh in the you know under bruce arians uh and and, and with carson palmer like those numbers really kind of point to wow he, you know at that age doing you know three straight uh, hundred reception seasons 2015 and 2017 and really kind of point towards you know, you know what he did for that for that team. Always catching passes and uh, yeah, I think uh, I think Fitzgerald does make a, a good point to to be in here and uh, you know maybe the the NFL is lucky to get him for one more year at, at least one more year. I mean we keep thinking he's going to retire. Maybe I he does spend another three years in the league. Who knows? Um, anyway, so I think we can get to offensive line now. And this was one player at every position and there's uh, you know a certain bit of we actually also. Did you want to talk about Larry Fitzgerald at all? Sorry.
5: The only I say about Larry Fitz is I have no problem with him being on an All Decade list. Like you said, Kayla, he's he he he's the guy. He's the man. He, when you need him, he's there. And uh, I think that plays more towards you know an All Decade team. And um, and uh, and you know I think he got snubbed a couple of years on All Team on All Pro, but. I I have no problem with him being on this list.
4: Well, thank you. And there is one thing I wanted to add, since this is a fantasy podcast. So I had drafted Larry Fitzgerald in my money link that I pay $100 a season for every year. Kind of in the later mid-tier rounds probably around round 10. And I was super excited about his production the first two weeks after he was getting the touchdowns. But week in and week out when, you know, he was catching all these passes, but having 30 and 40 yards. And I was having a lot of injuries. Like I lost James Conner. I lost Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, I lost a couple other couple of my first round picks. Mike Evans was struggling a little bit with some injuries on and off. And Tyler Lockett ended up going down. And, you know, I my first four draft picks, I don't even think I used in my playoff game. Honestly, maybe James Conner, but he didn't really do that well. Um, And I needed to the point of that was, you know, I needed to find guys on the waiver wire. I needed to drop people I wasn't going to use. And, you know, when it got into the later weeks and I'm looking at playoff time and before the Cardinals had even played the 49ers, I'm like, oh, my God, do I really want to am I really going to play Larry Fitzgerald against the 49ers? Do I even need to have him on my roster when I have these dire immediate needs that I need to put into my lineup? No, but then, you know, week in and week out, I couldn't pull the trigger on dropping Fitzgerald because if he's he's getting a pass thrown to him, he's going to catch the football. So, yeah, am I disappointed that you had seven catches for 38 yards? Yes, I wish that you got more, but... You had seven targets. You caught every single pass that was thrown to you. You did your job. And at the end of the day, I would rather have 3.8 points than zero points because I took a chance on somebody who was a prospect who might play or didn't catch any of his targets when he caught eight passes the week before. So that's just my last tidbit on Larry Fitzgerald. And I also wanted to throw in there that my other wide receiver pick for the all decade was Antonio Brown. So now we can move on.
1: Uh, Yeah, so moving on to offensive line. Away from that, sorry if it was offensive conversation um so starting at uh left tackle i think this is pretty easy all of us went joe thomas um although i did think oh you know jason peters had a great decade but you know there was no other option with joe thomas right or did anyone else have anyone else that kind of in mind that was a close second
2: no i think no
1: thomas um and then, uh, so moving uh, right along that line, at uh, left guard, we all took Marshall Yonda. Um, yeah. yes. And uh, actually, at right guard, we all took Zach Martin. So, you know, both guards, you're both unanimous on, uh, at least the three of us were. Uh, you'll have to read the full press coverage article to see uh, how, uh, you know, who made the final list. But uh, I, I, you know, will just... say,
5: I will say one thing. I, um, sure. I made a mistake. And I put Marshall on at right guard and Zach Martin at left guard. That is my bad. I mixed them up. So, don't kill me.
1: <laughs> um, and to the point of, of Yonda, he actually later in his career has now, he's now the right guard, I think, on the Ravens now, whereas you know, he used to play left guard, but they've kind of switched things around. So, you know, he's, he was interchangeable. Um, I think the idea was that Martin's always played right guard in his career, and that's why I know I, I think I did, and I think you had two, kill Yonda left, because you could have gone either with him, but Martin seemed to fit better at the right guard spot.
5: Um, yeah, now, I, center. Honestly, uh,
4: I don't even know the difference looking at, you know, what the positions left guard and right guard do, so I got it right, but that was just because I tried really
1: hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, and again, I mean, it's, you know, guards are typically play the same type of way, um, especially wherever your strongest guard is, you that's usually pulling on outside runs or, you know, the, the the it's the guard that the running back always wants to run behind because, you he know, he's getting the best blocks. Um, so whether it was the Ravens that would be going left, back in the day with Yondon and the Cowboys towards the right, um, although I guess <laughs> for the Cowboys, that's a pretty great offensive line throughout. And actually so is the Ravens. Both offensive lines deserve ton make credit. And really, it's tough for one guy to really stand out on an offensive line. Really. I mean, it, it's either, you know, the whole line can succeed or usually no one does, because someone stuff's breaking down and nothing ends up working. So um even the Browns, as bad as they were as a team, they had uh you know, they had they had three pretty awesome offensive linemen who all could've played at the same time that all could have been on this list. Um so at center. I went Marquise Pouncey. Uh, Alessandro, you went Nick Mangold, correct? Yes. Taylor, I actually forget yours.
4: Um I picked Marquise Pouncey also.
1: Hmm. I thought outside of quarterback, center might actually have been the toughest position to, for me to pick. Uh, there were a lot of great options. And uh, Pouncey had the most all-pros, five through the decade. Uh, also three first team, which was tied for the most of all centers in the decade. So that, that kind of led me towards him already. And um, Alessandro, earlier you mentioned you know some of the great offensive lines. And uh, really the Steelers are among this decade the best. And I didn't have anyone else. So it was kind of almost a tiebreaker. I kind of went, okay, well, Pouncey gives me some of the Steelers offensive line representation on this on this list. You know, already having Zach Martin uh, and also Marshall Yonda, Ravens, Cowboys, again, two better offensive lines this decade. So I just thought that kind of balanced it nice. Um, I could have gone Alex Mack as well. Uh, having three Browns on the offensive line, it kind of felt weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jason Kelsey was a great center. Nick Mangold, um, and I'll actually I'll let you 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 chose him, so I'll let you make the argument on on Mangold, Alessandra, in a sec. But uh, Kayla, why did you pick Pouncy?
4: Um, mainly what led me to pick him is what you said too, because I'm. I'll be honest, I'm not super familiar with offensive line greatness. I don't really watch for it in games. Um, I don't credit it as much as I should. So I was kind of looking at guys who stood out and then kind of diving in deeper as, you know, looking at their seasons and why, you know, they made these lists. And I, you know, you were talking about how Pouncey was on it five times. Um, Just looking at his seasons and Also looking at the success or what the team did, uh, I really felt that he was the best choice for the position. I don't really have any in-depth reasoning for it, but, you know, during my research, I don't remember, you know, every little thing that I read. But just comparing, you know, who could have got it to him and then what those numbers were and seasons as a whole and what the team did um, made me pick Bouncy.
1: I mean, I didn't have much in depth. I literally gave you my two reasons. That was about the depth of my research. But Alessandro, enlighten us about Nick Mangold and why you made the choice. So when I was checking um, centers,
5: you know, I, I I always look for offensive line because I actually do put stock in it. I do look at offensive line, and you know, as a, as a Jets uh, Jets fan, you know, I'm always lo- always looking for a great offensive lineman because you know, a great offensive lineman actually help you win. You know Super Bowls because if you have time in the pocket, you can throw. And and um, my dad is actually he's the one that got me started at looking offensive lines. But for me, when um I was choosing offensive linemen, I was thinking about Pouncey, I was thinking about Mac, I was thinking about Unger. I mean these are all really good centers. But when you come down to it, you know for me, and this is where my Jets bias has played into a little bit, I preferred Mangold. And here's the reason why Mangold played behind. Now Hall of Famer because he he got drafted here shortly ago. Um, Kevin Mawai and Mawai is regarded as one of the best centers to play the game. You know, there's a lot of great centers, and he's regarded in that uh, in that conversation. You know, I'm not saying he is the best. I'm saying he's regarded as one of the best. And so behind Mawai, Nick Mangle was able to watch and learn, and you know he was able to come up on his own. And so. Uh, Going and he emulated Mangles, uh, Moai's style style play, which is why I, I consider him to be one of the best at his positions as well. I also put him in that conversation. Low bias, maybe, sure, but um, when you when you look at offensive line, and I won't relate to the Steelers here, when you look at the Steelers' offensive line, they don't move. When they move, they move the way they want you to move, and they and they toy with the edge rushers and they toy with the defensive linemen. If they want to bounce back and protect the quarterback, if they'll bounce back and keep you put and they'll push you out to the side, so that way you have to do like a full 360, just try to get the quarterback. That offensive line moves as a cohesive unit because of because of Pouncy. He yells at the line to either move left, right, center, hold the line, push forward, whatever they need to do. Mangold did the same thing, but he took it to another level. He led running backs – to a whole new level because he was able to move the offensive line. And I remember at one point that there was rookies on the offensive line, except for Mangold. And Mangold whipped into shape. When I say rookies, I mean true blue-green rookies. And he was able to whip them to shape to be like the the, lineman that you would see on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, that's how good of a lineman he was in regards to holding the line, making holes, making sure they know who to check. And so when um, the Jets drafted uh, Sanchez, you know, a.k.a. butt fumble, still mad, um, he he led the offense. You know, it's normally the quarterback point out the Mike linebacker, or the middle linebacker, the edge rusher, the this, that. No, that was Mangold. He was pointing them out. And in an interview, you could listen to Sanchez saying, for those three years when he and Mangold played together, um, or – well, it was for three years until he took over play call, but for those three years, Mangold pointed out who was the Mike linebacker, who was going to come on the edge rush. He had the eye discipline of a quarterback, but he had the body style and the play style of a lineman. So that's why I put him in the all decade team because he only played for six seasons. So he played for half decade, but he, from 2010 when they made the Super Bowl and all the way up until 2016, um, he moved the offensive line. He was the anchor. No one moved unless they said they would. And when you look at the numbers and the statistics, the Jets actually really did not commit that any, that many penalties on the offensive line thanks to Mangold. So that's why I had put him in there. A little bit of biasness, but there's a whole lot of research behind it why I chose Mangold, and I, I have no and I have no disdain for you guys. Picking and because he's a really good center and but I,
1: I just chose man gold i mean you talk about the you know the supporting cast and he had alan fanica for a little bit of his career i think that you know they may have played a couple of years together but for the most part his guards next to him were never anything really special i mean he elevated them to the, the best of their abilities and you know center is responsible for a lot of line calls outside of you know a few like a peyton manning quarterback who's just going to make every call himself uh, but, they, you know, even after the call, he's still, you know, the center's still responsible for getting offensive linemen set up even after a quarterback identifies a blitz for them. So, um, you know, th- there's still a lot of work to be done on the offensive line. And, yeah, they had to break a Ferguson there for a while. And both of those guys, did they, didn't they did they retire at the, the same season? Like, it's kind of... Oh, they were drafted in the same year. Yeah, poetic that their careers mirror each other. And, yeah, having a great left tackle, great center for the Jets, you know, got them to a couple a couple AFC championship games. Um so yeah, so I think there's there's I didn't you know there's one pick in particular I'm like oh man that's a that's a Jets bias pick if I saw one and I looked into it and it actually wasn't as bad I, you 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 know you there's a there's a strong case we made for that and we'll get to that later uh, on the defense but I didn't I didn't bat an eye when I saw him angled because I thought he was just as deserving as as Pouncey was certainly so great pick there uh, last offensive line position is uh you know we already went through right guard so right tackle uh kayla and i both went mitchell schwartz and andrew or uh, sorry uh, alessandro you went andrew whitworth uh, if, I'm, if i remember correctly
5: yeah i i was between um whitworth and a few of the guys i remember how good and dominant Whitworth played. play but i um you know when you guys told me that you guys picked mitchell schwartz i'm like damn it that's the guy who should have been in there so um well
1: again it's a good
5: there's a good, there's a good uh, argument for whitworth and you know he was a very good offensive line, and in this past couple of seasons when he was a free agent, he was the guy that people wanted to get, and so, you know, he he, he um he's a very good offensive line, and he's one he's one of the better guys at his position. Um, but you know, looking at it now, I think I should have gone with Mitchell Schwartz, and yes, there's an argument you can made for him. I mean, he's you know played most majority of his games. He has committed no fumbles, more fumble recoveries, I would say, than any other tackle in the league right now. But, you know, a couple of first team all pros in 15, 17, four Pro Bowls. I mean, yeah, you could argue for him, but I think Mitchell Schwartz would have beat him if I would have put him there. If I remember. Well, well, I,
1: th- I think choosing how to kind of interpret the list, right? I was actually really tempted to just go, I really wanted to put Jason Peters. I'll just put him at right tackle, even though he didn't play right tackle, right? He was a left tackler. I guess Whitworth, for most of his career, also left tackle so uh you know Schwartz being the pure right tackle to me kind of made more sense but certainly you know whitworth was a really deserving offensive lineman that deserves credit to be on the list so i I, you know i don't hate the pick it was was pretty solid um there are a lot of really good tackles this decade and you know again we can only put two of them on the list a lot of them didn't get represented um okay so i've started a lot of these times when we've been in agreeance ks i'll let you go first why did you take mitchell Schwartz?
4: Um, literally, because Mason told me to, honestly, but also because uh, I kind of kept the theme of looking at the all-pro list and then looking mm-hmm. at, you know, stats and teams. Um, so, yeah, I was really stumped on this one, so I asked Mason for help, and uh, he kind of pointed me in that direction, um, because I had, to be honest with you, I hadn't, Really been aware of everything that Schwartz had done in his career, so I had to really do some research on it, um, and then just kind of hearing stories from him is why I picked him.
1: Honestly, I, I didn't really know the the depth, like the the consistency. He's played every game, every snap. it's kind of similar to Joe Thomas, and funny how they were both on the same team. Uh, they, you know the Browns had three potential guys uh, offensive line on this all decade team, and they couldn't do anything in the decade. It's it's kind of hilarious actually. Uh, unless you're a Browns fan, then it's just really sad. I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, Schwartz, in the thing the thing with the All-Pro t- list, I don't know if you noticed this, Caelan, doing your research, they didn't f- start putting right tackle, and sp- specifying left and right tackle on the All-Pro list until just, I think it was 2016. So, if the first part of the decade, it's literally just left tackles. So, it's, you know, there's there's not much to sift through, but if you look at the way he played, and you look back at the numbers, again, the numbers that exist in terms of games played, and again, consecutive snaps, not necessarily team success, but Offensive line metrics too, and that the Browns were always a really good offensive line, and now he's with the Chiefs, and and really, I think that the right side of that line, unlike a lot of teams where it's the left side usually, or maybe you know maybe a mix, they've so got a you know a great left tackle and a great right guard and you fill everywhere else, but for the Chiefs, it really is that right side of that line that I think is the strength uh, between Mitchell Schwartz at right tackle and Laurent derval Ziff at right guard, and uh, I'll just say his name anytime I can because because why not? Love the Canadians. Um, and, and so, yeah, anchoring that line that may win a Super Bowl in, in a week, or at least, you know, they, they at the very least have got to the Super Bowl, I think is also credit to Schwartz changing teams and, and finding tremendous tremendous success. I thought about Marcus Cannon uh, and some of the things he did, uh, part of a couple of Super Bowl-winning teams with the Patriots, uh, three actually, but two where he was the, the right tackle, because he also played left guard a bit too. So not consistently being at right guard kind of led me, okay, you know, I think Schwartz is the, is the pick and much, you know, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized, yeah, Schwartz is kind of the no-brainer um, because Cannon just didn't play as much the decade and also didn't always play at right tackle. Um, so, yeah, so I think uh, offensive line, we're, we're a lot closer. on. some of these defensive positions, we'll switch over to the other side. Um, first, I think we'll just start at defensive tackle. Made more sense to me to start there. Wait, Darren. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah.
5: Um. Just just throwing that out there, because I'm pretty sure we all have the same, but for tight end,
1: we all, I think we all had the same tight end. Rob Gronkowski. Yeah. I completely yeah. forgot about Gronk. No, that's actually a good point. Yeah, uh, we all went Rob Gronkowski. Uh, just, yeah, so I think that was, honestly, of all the picks on the entire all-decade list, that was the most no-brainer, I think. I don't know about if you guys thought that. Yeah. And
5: yeah. 2000s was Tony Gonzalez, 2010s was Gronk, uh, so.
1: And I mean, his passing game dominance, but his also his mix of run game dominance, and just how successful the teams were with him. I think there's a strong case to be that Gronk's the greatest tight end ever. And this was, as you said, this was his decade. So, Um, yeah. So yeah. Thank you. I completely forgot about that. Wow. Uh, You know, offensive lines are more important than tight ends. Apparently, that's why my mind went there first. Uh, so yeah, so let's flip over to the defense. Uh, another player we all had, defensive tackle, was Aaron Donald. I don't think we need to focus too much on that. Even though he, it, it's again similar to Calvin Johnson, he didn't play the whole decade, but he was so much better than everyone else by a, a wide enough margin that it was an inarguable. I mean, to me, the only other defensive tackle that really came like remotely close was Ndamukong And frankly, I despise Ndamukong many maybe more than any other NFL player, at least for on the field stuff just because of how much of a dirty player he is. and Yeah, it's biased because a lot of it was geared towards the Packers. I kind of like when he left for Miami, Uh, not just for your benefit, Caleb, but the fact that they had just played the Dolphins, so I knew, okay, it's going to be four years before we ever have to see Ndamukong Suu again. That's great, and uh, yeah, I like that. So um, I would have categorically refused to put him on this list uh, on my bias alone and really glad that that we didn't have to put two defensive tackles because it would have been hard to find anyone else really that deserved it. It was really clearly Aaron Donald. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, the end of that discussion. Uh, defensive end. Uh, I think all three of us went JJ Watt. Again, pretty easy. Maybe, you know, if you're just looking overall at defense, there's probably no player more deserving to be on this list than him. Uh, just the consistent production and the pass rushing sack production for a 3 4 defensive end is something that I think can- cannot be uh, overstated. That. You know he, sh- you know, kind of like Bruce Smith was with the Bills. He shouldn't be getting this many sacks as a three-four defensive end, but he still does. It's crazy. You're free- you're you're more likely to face double teams, not rushing from the the outer edges, and he could move all around the line. And you know, just it'd be really hard to to not have JJ Watt on this list. I don't know if I I well, I don't know if uh, Ian will put out which ones were unanimous, but I'd be shocked if anyone didn't put JJ Watt yeah i put him so same uh so then where we differed though was the second defensive end um and i know kayla you and i kind of both struggled with this decision was uh this is a, i think a big question I, I wonder how many people decided this um where to put khalil mac um and there were three linebackers in particular that i wanted to put and My argument eventually came down to there was a down of three guys for two spots, linebacker and defensive end. And, and, you know, I just what was the best two player combination? And the way that worked out was for me, Khalil Mack at defensive end. Um, What was your reasoning behind going Khalil Mack at defensive end?
4: Um, I think because I knew for sure there were two recent linebackers that I needed to include. Um, and I'll just say Luke Keekley and Vaughn Miller. Um, but there's also a linebacker who finally has a chance to get into the Hall of Fame <laughs> on February 1st, um, that I feel as though should have already been there, has better numbers overall than Brian Urlacher, and Brian Urlacher is a Hall of Famer, and...
3: And
1: a first ballot Hall of Famer at that, which I was a little, uh,
4: really? He's right. A so okay? Um... Played so many seasons with one team who struggled. Um, and also just because I really wanted to include him as a homer. Um, I knew I had to put Zach Thomas at my other linebacker spot. And I knew that I couldn't keep Khalil Mack off this list. And I really thought about, you know, players who at defensive end who were on the same level as Khalil Mack. And I really. I really couldn't make an argument for anyone over him there, you know, since I had already put J.J. Watt. So that's why I put him at defensive end and not at linebacker. Uh,
1: so now, Alessandro, you went another route at defensive end, and you took Chandler Jones. So care to give us some insight on that?
5: Yeah, so um, I didn't know what to do with Khalil Mack, and I saw him more as an OLB, and so – I separated him there because while he did line up on the line a lot, I went with an actual person who was classified as a defensive end. And for me, I mean, it was no brainer. no-brainer with Chandler Jones. I was pissed when the Jets didn't draft him. Super Bowl champion, three-time All-Pro, two first-team All-Pros. Since he got drafted, along with every other person in his draft in 2012, no one else has come to his sack total of 96, which is just phenomenal and outstanding. I mean, the man's been a really good uh, um, um, DE. And while he is classified as an OLB, he lines up more, and so he can be also be classified as the same as Khalil Mack. But he switched over when he went to the Cardinals, so now he's technically a DE. And so... Um, but even still, I mean, just Chandler Jones, he's, he has more sacks than Khalil Mack. And when I looked at, you know, defensive end versus linebacker position, I knew who I wanted in my linebacker. And, you know, I, I saw the linebacker as two Mikes and an OLB. And I know who I wanted for that position. And so when I looked at DE and LLB, I was like, you know what? I'm going to stick him as a DE because that's what he is now. And 96 sacks as an interior, as an exterior lineman on the line. I mean, that's phenomenal at 96. You you can't beat that. I mean, find find me a guy who's been doing better numbers since
1: 2012. Um, I guess yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. Khalil Mack's official position is listed as outside linebacker. I know. Uh, I don't know if this was the same process for you, Kayla. I justified him at defensive end because Khalil Mack actually made some All Pro lists as defensive end. So enough football writers and people following the game very precisely enough to vote on the All-Pro list. Uh, they view some some of them view him as a defensive end, and just the way he's used. So I, I use that as justification, but certainly can't fault uh, anyone who went with official positions listed. Um, the other defensive end I, I thought deserved credit, and I really wanted to get on. And I would have, I th- I would have had a much easier decision if Ian had only made us do two corners and three defensive ends. Then I would have definitely put Calais Campbell. Um, and again, that was the decision. It was really tough between Mac and, and Calais Campbell. I, I love the way he played in Arizona, all across the line, and what he did uh, when he got to Jacksonville, and how you know his first season in Jacksonville, the the sack pressure he was providing, um, it just you know elevated that defense to the to the best they've ever been. Uh, so just really turning around it, and yeah, there was a lot of talent throughout that defense, but he, it seemed like he was really that that spark plug that that took it to the next level. So I uh, just wanted to. You know, give a shout-out to Calais Campbell, even though I didn't put him on my list. I I really wanted to. Um, And, yeah, I guess with that, we can go to Linebacker. uh, Unless you want to comment on either Calais Campbell or Chandler Jones, Kayla? No, I'm good. All right, so Linebacker. All three of us went Keekly and Vaughn Miller, correct? Yeah. Uh, uh, Yes. And then again, so, Kayla, you've already... Did you want to add anything about Zach Taylor?
4: Zach Thomas.
1: There's... Man, I'm so bad. Do you want (sighs) to... Darn it. I'm usually good at that. Kayla, do you want to add anything about Zach Thomas?
4: No, I'm okay. Hold on.
1: Hold on. I got to interject something here.
4: Kayla? Sure.
5: Did he play in the 2010s? Yes. No, I don't
4: know.
5: Because I'm looking at it right now, and it said his career ended with the Chiefs in 2009.
4: I thought he was on the Cowboys, but... I don't know. I just really want Zach Thomas to be awarded anything.
5: <laughs> He's going to get in the Hall of Fame. Trust me. He deserves to be in it. I have no doubt.
4: Okay, then I'll just submit my two linebacker choices that don't <laughs> include him.
5: I, I had to throw that in there because Kyle caught on me about Dan loss, yeah. so I got to get on you about Zach Thomas. At and least And I Hall's even defended infected.
4: you. How dare you? <laughs> you did ah,
5: defend up. I am defending you now. I am defending you now. He deserves to be on a all decade list, just not this one. And he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. God bless that man. He made the Jets life hell.
1: Uh, okay, so anyway, Alessandro, I think both you and I went Bobby Wagner.
5: Yes. Um, And, he, and, and, I, and I'm <laughs> just going to throw this out here because you guys got
1: Khalil Mack and I don't. Um, when which, which, you know... Not to spoil too much of that list, but that might not be a, as unpopular a decision as you think. Well,
5: here's how it is. You know, when like I said, when I looked at linebacker and DE, I I need to separate line and linebacker.
1: That's fine. And man, if you because Khalil Mack's official position is outside linebacker, so making that distinction makes sense. If you and really so, stuck to it.
5: And, and so when I and looking at it, I wanted to run it as linebackers defensive end. And so when I look at it, I want two mics or two of the best middle linebackers and an outside linebacker an edge, so to speak. And when I was looking at it, I'm between Vaughn Miller and Khalil Mack. Well, Khalil Mack, I'm going by numbers alone, and I'm a fan of Vaughn Miller, so maybe a little biased, but Khalil Mack has 61.5 sacks. Von Miller has 106. And Von Miller was drafted in 11, and Khalil Mack was drafted in 14. So three years difference, mm-hmm. it's still not going to add up if you do it per year basis going all the way through.
1: Especially he's since done. Miller didn't he miss like almost all of 2013 as well. So yeah, you know, he, he's he doesn't. Yes, yeah, so he doesn't. He doesn't give Khalil Mack. He doesn't have a full three year gap on Khalil Mack. It's more like two, really.
5: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's he he only played nine games in 2013, and his total sack count that year was five. But I mean, you won't find an OLB more dominant than. You know Khalil Mack, and if you want to go off your argument, Kyle, about all team all pro, three first team all yeah. pros, four second team all pros, versus Khalil Mack's three first team all pros, that's it, and so while they, they match mm-hmm. up in first, well, yeah, they match up the first team, he still has second team more pro bowls, Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP but I don't care about all that, I, I care about the person, the player, and how he played Khalil Mack is not a he he's a bad man. I ain't going to deny that. He's a bad man. But Von Miller is worse. Oof, that's a bad man. And so when I look at my little B, Mac Von Miller, I'm going Von Miller. Because I
1: mean, and Von Miller, that speed off the edge—that really oof, pops off the oh. tape. It's something you could like. You you could notice. Like that's well, offensive linebacker, especially as big as he is, shouldn't really, he shouldn't be that fast? Uh, I thought Keekly and Miller, and I think the reason all three of us had him at, at least unanimous on this podcast. I think it was very clear those were the two strongest cases at linebacker. I mean, all, you know, Keekley was an all-pro every year of his career, except his rookie year, when he still led the league in tackles and probably should have made an all-pro list. <laughs> um, so that was that was kind of also another no-brainer. Um, yeah, because to me, the, again, the, the big decision I had was, do I go Calais Campbell, Khalil Mack, Khalil, or Khalil Mack, Bobby Wagner, or Bobby Wagner, Calais Campbell? So to me, it was, you know, I always I I, I agree with you. I also always had Von Miller ahead of Khalil Mack. And see. And then um going to my other linebacker. I knew
5: Luke Kikley had to be in there. This man. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. I mean, yeah, I'm just gonna read his acolytes real quick. Just real quick. Seven sure, Pro yeah. Bowls, five team first all pros, two second team all pros, and this man's only been in the league for eight years. So that's a combined seven years on all pro list. Art Rooney Award, three time Buckness Award, NFL Defensive Player of the Year, two time NFL tackling leader, NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. What? <laughs> if you do not have Luke Keeley on this damn list, then you are a sham. This man, oh, he, he's a quarterback. That man was a quarterback yes. on defense. And he don't sack people, he just tackles the hell out of them.
1: You know, and a great 21st century linebacker, great coverage linebacker. He can drop back and he can make some plays too. So um especially again, Ian Waters to best represent the decade. Who better represents the decade as a linebacker than Keekly? And see, so
5: Again, that, that, that's my that's my first mic, and so I'm looking at my second middle linebacker, and I'm thinking, all right, who's going to match up with him? And there's only one name that could pop up: Bobby Wagner. They were drafted in the same year. Bobby Wagner was drafted second round, 47 pick. Luke Kuechly drafted in the first round at the nine pick. Here's Bobby Wagner's stats. He's a Super Bowl champion, six time all six time Pro Bowl, five team first team All Pro, two time second team All Pro. Two-time NFL tackling leader, FPWA All Team rookie. I mean, that's just Players Associated Press, um, Pro Football Writers Associated Press, so all rookie team. But two-time tackling leader, two second-team All Pro, five-time first-team All Pro, six Pro Bowls, drafted in the same year. So he's only in his eighth year. I mean, finding another linebacker that you know matches up stats close enough. They're really.
1: To be- the only thing he, that Keekley has that Wagner doesn't have is he's, uh, he, well, first Defensive Rookie of the Year and then Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, and the did. only reason Wagner didn't win r- Defensive Rookie of the Year is because, as you mentioned, this rookie year was Keekley's rookie year. Tough not to give it to the guy who leads the league in tackles as a rookie. <laughs> like You see that? That's, ooh, that, that guy's probably going to get it. Oh, yeah,
5: oh, yeah. I mean, total tag for Bobby Wagner, 1,075. For Luke Keekley, 1,092. Sacks, <laughs> 1.5. For <laughs> Wagner, 19.5 uh interceptions 10 for uh keekley 18 i mean these guys were ridiculous defensive touchdowns three for bobby wagner two for luke keekley again find me another linebacker that did what they did in that short amount of time in eight years he's a bad man these two and so i thought no one else could could even compare to them uh
1: Uh, care, care to comment Uh, no. All Um, we'll go to our secondary conversation, which is the secondary now. Um, so again, three corners, two safeties, um, and it doesn't show based on our results here, because we, we all had the same three corners, but to me, that number three corner spot was the hardest decision on this list. Uh, I thought, first off, there were so many capable candidates, and then when it came down to it, it was really torn between two particular guys. So, starting with the, the two, I guess, that were the easy, obvious ones are Richard Sherman, Darrell Rivas... Uh, either of you want to say anything about Revis? I know Alessandro certainly probably won't want to talk about his his uh, jet player again.
5: The only thing I say about Revis is that he's one of the best man-to-man corners to ever play the game, and and, and that's a hard and that that's a lot of biasness thrown in there. But I mean, at the same time, there's mm-hmm. a lot of factual data backed up with it. I mean, he is one of the best. This is the reason why he has the damn island, but. He, he's one of the best to play like that. Richard Sherman is one of the best man zone, because he played more zone than man, but more man zone, I would say, because he did play man um, corners yeah. that play, because he did the, these two. When you think of this decade, you think of Revis Island, and you
1: think of the Shermanator, and I mean, yeah. I will say the one thing that Sherman does do, and again, not because he can't, because we see him do it at times, but he was, he's not really asked to shadow. Um, always on great secondaries where they, especially with the Seahawks, they were never afraid of any receiver right like not like they, they Believed in all their talent throughout the secondary that they never really felt that they had to chase matchups or shadow Whereas Revis constantly shadowing other teams top quarters. So
5: hey, you'll see he'll never get any safety over the top safety help It was always Revis
1: versus whoever Caleb mm-hmm. um, any uh, any comments about either of those two in particular
4: Yeah, I just wanted to share my favorite Richard Sherman moment, and that was when um, he was asked about Michael Crabtree, and he used the word mediocre to describe him. I think that is one of the funniest interviews I have ever watched. I don't know why I find it so funny. I think it might have just been the way he said mediocre, and then lived up to it. But um, I think, you know, we kind of talked about how if you say things when you're recapping our the championship weekend if you say things you better back them up and richard sherman did a great job in his career covering michael crabtree so that is all
1: i think probably my favorite person that I've ever been interviewed like just you know an incredibly intelligent person uh really well spoken uh when there's serious issues that need to be talked about he gives some of the best sound bites about it some of the most insightful thoughts uh but also one of the best trash talkers you've ever heard and no. again you can walk the walk talk the talk and uh, all due respects to Revis, I think Sherman was my cornerback one for this decade. Uh, led, the, led the league in interceptions during the decade, even though teams would be so afraid to throw at him. I mean, because any time you were, you were most likely getting picked off. Uh, and again, maybe without, you know, Revis didn't maybe have as much safety help, so he couldn't necessarily undercut routes as much. And that was never Revis' game. Revis was all about the shutdown. You're not catching the ball, no matter what, where is Sherman's a bit more of a risk taker there you know he's gonna go after those balls for those interceptions so the stats kind of you know sheer, go towards Sherman but again both you know locked in candidates I think for the, for both the, for this all decade team uh the third guy again we all picked Patrick Peterson although um I didn't you didn't oh I'm no, sorry
4: I, I picked Aqib Talib
1: you did oh right sorry my mistake okay uh Oh that well, which leads into the point, I guess, for me that there were so many candidates for this third one. I, you know, Patrick Peterson to leave, you just mentioned. Uh, I really strongly believe in Chris Harris. Actually, uh, part of it was again the way Alessandro voted. I specifically want two middle linebackers and an outside linebacker. Part of me was thinking, you know, three corners. Should one be a slot corner? And then I thought, who was the best slot corner this decade? Inarguably, it was Chris Harris, I think, just consistency throughout. And then he also proved he could play on the outside and be a shutdown corner. He really did a great job of that this year. So uh, I was pretty torn there. And um, I know you guys aren't going to like it. He's a patriot. But uh, early in his career as a, as a slot corner, Devin McCordy in his second season, made an all-pro list as a corner. And, you know, really dominated later in his career as a safety, so I eventually got away from putting Devin McCourty, but I, I thought about it for a bit. <laughs> I mean, uh, that, ultimately,
5: makes uh, Charles Woodson, I mean. Yes,
1: really yes, exactly, because he dominant throughout. Um, 2009, you can't count the defensive player of the year, but he still made All-Pro's corner with the Packers a couple years, and then again, eventually went to safety. Uh, but, yeah, I, I thought there were so many strong candidates, it was really tough for me to narrow that one down. Um, the thing that – the one thing I, I, that – you know, obviously, lockdown corner is Peterson as well, similar to to Revis. But his his excellence as as a returner, I think, is what that was the last straw that made me go Peterson over over the others. Uh, we didn't have any special teams representation. We didn't have kickers or returners or anything. So it was kind of my way to get special teams in this is was picking Peterson over Chris Harris, uh, and you know prioritizing that that uh, special teams aspect over the the slot corner aspect. Uh, Alessandro, what was your reasoning behind Peterson?
5: I was just thinking of top corners. And while I would add Stephon Gilmore, I just didn't mm-hmm. think he was in a league long enough um, yeah. to be counted in. Yeah. And, um, so if he was in a league, say, 2012, 2013, then I would have uh, counted him. But, you know, Peterson, I, I, I had Revis. I had Sherman. So, you know, I knew I was set there. Those were the two top guys as far as that goes. I could have done Champ Bailey because technically he played to 2015. I could have done Rob Woodson because he played to 2016. Um, you know, I just, and, you know, for me, when I'm thinking about it, oh, wow, Gilmore actually was drafted in 2012. Well,
1: Whoa. he played with the Bills for a while. Uh, and that, you know, he was a great corner there, but it's really since he's been with the Patriots that he's really kind of elevated to be the, the best corner. And he was probably that's, already close to that with the Bills, but. That's true. I mean, so, yeah, we we can argue Over. that. But his all pro his all pro seasons have all come in these last couple right so it's it just wasn't quite enough and I mean again I think Peterson's a shutdown guy uh, so Kayla, you went key to lead you want to give some insight on that one
4: yeah so obviously um his 2008 and 2009 seasons, his first two years you can't use because it's not in this decade but um he did have nine interceptions in those two years so you can't credit that but um the first when he was 24 in 2010 the first year that we can count, he did have six interceptions. It was the most interceptions he had throughout his career. Um, But actually, this past season was the only year that he didn't record an interception for his team. Um, He's had at least one touchdown. I wrote this down. In eight of the years in this decade, um, of the ten years, and that's on defense. And I really just feel like you know, he's he's the type of player that, like you guys were talking about, you don't want to throw at. Um, but also, he's a leader in this, I don't know. I, I think I just personally, kind of going back to Alessandro's argument earlier with wide receiver, I think just whenever I would watch him I didn't see him get beat or I didn't see him make an adjustment in a game. I didn't see him not be a leader for the team and, you know, just do his job game in and game out. Uh, And, you know, the stretch for players going from, you know, I would say 27, 28, and then getting up into your early thirties, you usually see a decline, but, you know, he held steady in my opinion with um, interceptions still forcing defensive touchdowns, um, you know, the games that he played were all around. Uh, it's interesting, he hasn't ever played 16 a full season, but um, actually later in his career, he played more games throughout the year, Lois being 13. Um, so he was usually present in his team's games um, and clearly making differences. Uh, and he, two personal things, he reminds me of Eddie Murphy, kind of looks like him. And he's also a Dolphin currently, so a little bit of bias. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he's officially a dolphin. No, he hasn't played a game for them, but he is officially on the Dolphins roster. Um, and the the thing with the physical corner, not afraid to get involved in the run game too. So that you could also add that aspect. So I think uh, again, to me, corner cornerback number three was the hardest choice on this list. So I really can't say much about anyone uh, not choosing Peterson. And again, I almost didn't. So we almost had three different answers. Um, and then safety, I think. No, no, we weren't unanimous at anyone, but uh, Kayla, you and I both went Earl Thomas at safety. Um, and I think, again, you know, I already had Sherman, so it didn't necessarily feel like, oh, I have to get a Legion of Boom guy in. But really, it, you know, that that was the, the best secondary of the decade was that, that Legion of Boom. And really that, what they did on defense, you know, four straight years is the, the you know, the top uh, points allowed defense, which I've always kind of thought was more important than yards allowed. I know some people say, well, yards is kind of the big reflection of how they allow teams to move the football in general. But to me, it's you know it's all about points, and if you can, can hold teams from scoring, and you know four straight years where they're, they're the least scoring defense, that's unprecedented. So, you know, huge credit to the overall team success of that defense. But really, Earl Thomas, as a you know center field free safety, you know he's he kind of set the standard at the at the position for this decade. Kind of everyone, not, not emulated him because it's not that, that he he was necessarily innovative, but you know when people play free safety, they try and play like Earl Thomas, right? That, um, you know, very much. Quickly reacting to football, just the pure speed to, to be able to kind of help out and get enough interceptions uh, from deep center field certainly required. Uh, you know, not a not as much of a run game helper as say Camp Chancellor, but you know with what he was asked to do and just the way he dominated and was arguably the best safety for a lot of seasons throughout. You look at the All Pro list; it reflects that. Um, you know, I thought he was a really strong case at safety. Uh, Kayla, what do you want to want to talk about it? Earl Thomas? Um, I just
4: think he was. Not necessarily the mastermind. That's not the right word. But when I think of Legion of Boom, I think of Earl Thomas first. Um, Cam Chancellor is a close second. But um, I i don't know. I just think he's one of the best safeties that I've ever researched or watched. Um, and is really a, a key person that people look up to on teams. I mean, we've even seen it with the Ravens this year. Uh, with how well he's praised by teammates on and off the field. And I guess, I guess the theme of, you know, my list, of guys like Drew Brees and Larry Fitzgerald and now Earl Thomas, that's, I look for off the field qualities as well.
1: The respect factor that he commands because of, you know, his play and his, the way he acts as a teammate and, uh, you know, Legion of Boom, physical corner, not just fast. I should, I should also add that when he hit people, he hit people hard. Um. So then, yeah, but then uh, after that, we were all kind of all over the map a little bit uh, with safety. Um, what well, we each talked about, Alessandro. Um, which of, your, of the two safeties you picked do you think was the strongest case that you want to kind of present first? Neither one. I ain't going to lie to you, man.
5: Okay. I, I didn't. Know, I didn't know who to pick for safety, and so the only two names I could come up with were Jamal Adams and Ed Reed because I really. and this is my own fault, I really didn't pay too much attention to the safety position. And I knew Jamal Adams was dominant. He's my Jets player. But he's too green to actually be on this list. So I really can't choose him. And Ed Reed, while he did play in the 2010s and his team did win the Super Bowl in 2012, um, I mean, it's not like he wasn't bad. Um, I mean, he, he still racked up since 2010 eight 2010 he had eight interceptions 2011 he had six interceptions 2012 four and when he came to the Jets he still had three interceptions and you know he was able to deflect deflect passes so I mean he wasn't a useless player technically in the 2010s but you know it, it to me it was I thought that he was still good enough to be playing for a while and then he retired in 2013 so um he's the only person I could actually think of that was good enough for the safety position. And that's my own fault. I really didn't uh, put that much thought into it because I didn't think about who could be a good safety. And then uh, I just thought, you know, say good safety now would be Jamal Adams. And, and so I just put him down just to say, I could have someone really,
1: but then I I really didn't think about this position too much. So that's my own fault. And to be fair, I mean, I thought, you know, there was a bit of a theme of a lifetime achievement throughout your kind of roster, right? Like giving it to the, you know, not necessarily just this decade, but chronic kind of careers, which, yeah, I can, I can get, I can kind of get behind that. But I thought this was, of, of those, this was one of the more defensible picks because Ed Reed was dominant. Again, yeah, only four seasons at the start of the decade. But, you know, before Earl Thomas really started to establish himself, he was the best safety in the league at, at that point. So I didn't absolutely hate the I actually didn't, I actually kind of considered him um, as my second safety. I was kind of looking and it was, that was another one, bit of a tough one. Um, ultimately, I went with someone who played longer but maybe wasn't as dominant, so there's certainly a case to be made for Ed Reed there, I think. As for Jamal Adams, yeah, of all, of all your picks, I saw that. Okay, well, there's the Jets bias coming through, so I can't fault you for that if you want to pick Jets players. I mean, I, I frankly almost put Josh Josh Sitton at left guard and um, uh, there's a couple spots, okay, can I? I may, I almost can I put Charles Woodson at that third corner just because he played for the Packers? So I, I get it, I get that. And you know, a couple of All-Pro seasons at the end of this decade. I mean, Jamal Adams uh, is, you know, the team hasn't had great success, but he's been really great and among the best safeties in the league right now. Um, oh yeah, if if he could keep
5: this up, I mean, I have no doubts that he's going to win All-Pro and most definitely All-Decade come in the 20, 2010 to 20, uh, 2030, twenty thirty. 2030. I mean, and he and should, if you can, yeah, he he can, can s-
1: sustain person. this long enough, then, yeah, you guys have a strong case for that, to be honest.
5: And look, look the NFL posted out their 2010 All-Decade teams. Their safeties that they have is uh, Earl Thomas and Eric Berry. Better- Eric Berry.
1: Eric Barry. Barry. Yeah, which, uh, again, we keep spoiling Kayla's pick.
4: Kayla? <laughs> I'm sorry, Kayla. Hi, everyone. My name is Kayla Morton. My pick, safety, Eric Berry.
1: <laughs> Hi, Kayla.
5: Welcome to a conversation. <laughs> yeah, Do you want to
4: yeah, talk so, about so Sure. <laughs> um, I was trying to figure out what to say first, but um, I picked Eric Berry because of everything that he's overcome in his career, and he's still considered to be one of the best safeties. Um, I clearly like feel-good stories. I like comeback stories. I like stories of players being able to overcome things and still be at the top of their game. Um, I'm definitely someone in my own life that's had to prove people wrong and go get things and work harder than I feel as 95% of people in life to achieve. Um, and I think if you believe in yourself, despite what anybody else says, that you can come back and um, I know with different injuries and illnesses that Eric Berry has had to overcome, a lot of people thought he would never play football again. Uh, And he's shown time and time again that they were wrong, and he had his own agenda. He had his own mental mindset that allowed him to do what he wanted to do, what he personally wanted to achieve. And, you know, he went and got it. And that is something admirable that I, you know, look for in people. Um, I think he's a role model to really anyone. I feel like a lot of people in life can think about a situation they've had to overcome or face, uh, and whatever the result of that was, uh, they likely did for themselves or they learned from it, and they're a different person one way or the other because of it, and they know what they need to do in the future moving forward from that situation. So I also think his positivity throughout his career whether he was in good situations or bad situations. And again, just the team player and the leader that he is. Um, I also really liked watching him on the field. And he has so many, you know, accolades that we could go through and career numbers that we could go through. But um, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know who Eric Berry is. So
1: The other thing is the impact he had on that defense. I and, mean, you know, everyone will probably think that – I know when I think Eric Berry, I think that Falcons game where – he got a you know a, a couple of really key plays throughout the game, and then uh, the Falcons on a two-point conversion when they were leading by one point, he gets a pick six, which you know on a two-point conversion it's a pick two, but it gave the Chiefs the win on what shouldn't have been a win, right? They, you know, the Falcons, if they just kick the point after, they win that game. Right. Heck, if if you know if Matt Ryan after snapping the ball kind of trips and falls and just falls to the ground and gets sacked, they win the game. <laughs> so, you know, it did. Who like? How, how do you win that in that moment, right? Like it's, it's again, you know, Matt Ryan has kind of a bit of propensity to throw some pick sixes here and there. So, uh, but just, you know, we talk about will your team not just will yourself back, but will your team victory in an unlikely spot and you know, the the comeback and everything that he kind of represents in terms of football and perseverance and the, the just the love of the game, really. A uh, strong case for Eric Berry. Uh, I went with Eric Weddle, different Eric. Uh, and again, it was. You know, you you guys with with Ed Reed and Eric Berry, just like the heights that they reach at the peaks, and you know maybe I didn't consider that enough here because Eric Weddle just a consistent strong safety or not a strong safety, but a consistent safety throughout the decade, um, uh, five All Pros, and it was all the first five years of the decade. So it really, is it's kind of a story of two halves, uh, but was pretty dominant at the start. Uh, maybe never the best safety in the league because there you know Ed Reed and then Earl Thomas and he kind of played at times with both of them, but uh, led the league in interceptions in 2011. So there were, you know, some years that he had his footing on. Uh, I had he on a couple weeks ago just to talk about the all decade list after we submitted it, just to kind of see, uh, you know, he and I we were talking a bit about our, our selections. Um, and uh, I, I did ask him, was Eric Weddle, was I the only one who picked Eric Weddle? And apparently I was. So I guess <laughs> I kind of went on a bit of a hot take with Eric Weddle. Um, any comments about that?
5: No, I chose Jamal Adams and Ed Reed, so I really can't say anything
1: about Eric Weddle or something. <laughs> um, anyway, so, yeah, so that's, uh, that is uh, the three of ours all-decade team. Uh, we'll never talk about it again for fear that uh, I'll just be an idiotic ranter and, and uh, you know, you know how I get. Uh, but, if you, again, if you like that, go check out the latest Pulp Press Packers pod because it's full of rants. You'll like it too, Kayla, because I really don't. I really don't give anything nice to say about Jimmy Graham. <laughs> <laughs>
4: there we go.
1: You, you know what's And Corey, really- Corey <laughs> Lindsey gets ripped quite a bit too. I'm I'm sorry, Corey Lindsay. You probably deserve better, but. You know what's funny, Kyle? At
5: the end uh, of the I'm day, about to find out. Yes, yes, you are. You know what's funny? At the end of the day, I'm still weighing on you, Stompy. You lost the bet. You got to come on the show.
1: I forget what bet was that again.
5: Uh, if uh, Josh Allen had more rushing yards than Cam Noon, which technically he did,
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't know that. Yeah, that's not really fair with injuries, but you're right. I'm only—I
5: I, was—I was only going to do up for each game that they played and actually played, in, and he still—he still had more rushing. Yeah, yards.
1: I would think he still would have won. Yeah, so good call, great, great. That's why we listen because Alessandra knows that Josh Allen got a lot of rushing yards. Quick question here. Is he going to, who's going to, okay. Carla Murray or Josh Allen, who gets more rush yards next year?
4: Oh,
5: let
1: me it take too early this game, to give let, that. Let, let, let me just, take the schedules and I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, anyway, so yeah, that was again, the all decade list and, uh, NFC championship and AFC championship reactions. Funny, anyway, I keep mentioning NFC championship game first. I figured I'd want to forget that one, but, uh, any parting words for our listeners?
4: Nothing.
5: Sure. I, I will we- say this. I, I am happy that uh, – um, I know I, know I talked about Jamal Adams, so I am happy that he got selected to another Pro Bowl and first-team All-Pro. And I think that he's really going to be a really good safety in this league. And um, I, mean, I will say this about your guy, um, Zadarius Smith, if you do keep him, which you should like, until he retires to kind of keep him. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. He, he's he's going to be a really excellent linebacker.
1: He already is, I think. <laughs> um, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I thought, he, I, just quick reaction to that. I mean, I know some people will say Aaron Jones. I thought Darius Smith was the Packers MVP this year. That defense was the strongest unit. Didn't show in the, in uh, the, against the 49ers last week, but, uh, you know, a lot of those wins were due to, to the defense. Uh, not entirely, obviously, Aaron Rodgers let off and still going to be good enough, but uh, actually pretty good in, in certain spots, too, where they really needed it. Um, I think about the second half against the 49ers, they looked pretty great, but um, obviously the first half, they looked absolutely horrendous, uh, except one drive where they fumbled. So, yeah, 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 that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, again, I, yeah, Z'Darrius Smith uh, was a, bit, a great pickup, one of the best free agent signings overall of any team last year, I think. Uh, certainly, probably the best Packers for agent signing, and they had a few good ones too. So it's it's not as if that's that's not saying much. Um, but yeah, hopefully a good long term future for all of our teams. And uh, you know, the Dolphins curious to see what they do with that uh, was fifth overall pick, Kayla. Yes. You,
5: don't you have like four in the first round?
4: Why would it be four?
5: I thought you had first first round picks.
4: Oh no, I think no it's, we only have it's three. three? Only yeah, three. we have the fifth, eighteenth, and twenty-sixth.
2: Yeah.
4: Hopefully, one of those uh, turns out. We got three tries, so you can do it.
1: <laughs> Let's take three quarterbacks. We'll pair them all. No, I'm kidding. No one will do that.
4: Oh my god! If see, oh my, we. I know no, you don't want. Can them to we take end the, the, the? Can we end the episode so that we don't have to cut this out? <laughs>
1: Well, I mean yeah, sure. Then we Uh, can talk about it. (laughs) Fair enough. Um frankly I'm already thinking we're at two hours. I think I'm just gonna divide this into two episodes. Uh anyway. So
4: Do you need Uh, us to record any uh things so you can end either episode?
1: (laughs) No, I'll just I'll just do a little I'll record a quick thing at the end, kinda saying, uh check out part two. Um I don't know where I'm gonna end yet. I may end where it gets really dramatic. Maybe be like, oh, to be continued. Ooh, will they survive? Uh. <laughs> or Alphonse killed kill Kyle. Who knows?
4: Or he could do offense and defense.
1: That's true. Yeah, uh, I think that'd be a good spot to end, too. So, yeah, somewhere around there. I'll, I'll figure out, see how long everything is.
4: Uh, yeah, but the yeah, climatic so. one is good, too.
1: It is. Kale, you have yeah,
4: 13 uh,
5: picks this this year in the draft.
4: 13! <laughs> Here we go.
1: Well, okay. Um, well, <laughs> you know that's a lot of rookies. Some of those, and I mean, maybe this is the fantasy football mentality in me, but consolidating some picks into some, you know, players isn't the worst idea. Trade so up to get some impact guys, even if you know, even if it's just for depth. I know the Dolphins have a lot of needs, so maybe you could kind of fill some of those needs trading draft picks away. We'll see. Um, obviously, we'll we'll find out. Well, what we the did Dolphins enough do for trading creations. away. Well, yeah, you did anyway so uh, i think we will trade away this podcast for the end of the podcast that was a really bad transition um i you can tell we're at the end here (laughs) we're just we're just reeling here uh but anyway thank you everyone who survived this long and then made it through the end of this episode episodes uh two big long ones about the Salt decade team uh thanks to both my co-hosts kayla morton and alessandro senator you can follow them kayla's at morton salt 74 alessandro at am underscore senator Myself, Kyle Senra at underscore KS, Nyama underscore KS and YAMA underscore KS. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, check us out on the Full Press Radio Network and check out all the great work that is available on Full Press coverage, including this, uh, the winners of the All Decade Team, which should be, depending on when you listen to the podcast, it might already be out. But uh, I know as the time of recording this on Wednesday the 22nd, there should be one out this week, at least the offensive offense. Should, Offensive list should be out this week. So, again, look for all of that. Um, Thank you, Kayla. Thank you, Alessandro. And thank you, all the listeners, for sticking to this new episode of the Full Press Fantasy Pod.
3: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
4: Dearly beloved, we are
0: gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?